Hi, welcome to another edition of the Evan Roberts Podcast. Hi, I'm Evan Roberts, and today I want to dedicate this podcast to the host or one of the hosts of the morning show, Greg Giannotti, because G always likes, and it's so accurate, he likes to make fun of the fact that in the newsroom, I love to talk about two things, fantasy baseball and professional wrestling, and he is 100% accurate about that. So on today's podcast, we will talk about those two loves, Fantasy baseball, including a major controversy that has hit our WFAN Fantasy League. Maybe you can relate to it. And we will also discuss SummerSlam as it starts to come together. My co-host on this beautiful podcast day is Tommy Lugauer, who produces Steve Summers. He produces me on Saturdays. He fills in all the time. He is what we call a jack-of-all-trades. Loogie, bro, how are you? Well, Evan, you're right. I basically produce anybody with a pulse on this station. You could hear me at any time with any host at any uh, at any given day. So, again, I appreciate you having me on. And, yeah, usually we have these conversations in the newsroom. We drive Recco crazy. Giannotti walks by, makes fun of us on the air. So, this is uh, for the people that can't hear us in the newsroom, which is about six people. Now you get the audience gets to hear our, our uh, conversations because each break you'll come out and you go, Loogie, uh, I'm sitting on this trade. Or Loogie, what do you think they're going to do with Brock Lesnar at SummerSlam? And then we'll talk about it for like it's 10 minutes. It's a combo of those two great things. That's and pretty much the, it, yeah. Here's the truth. Outside of the wrestling part, because Recco hates hearing about wrestling, he's joined us with fantasy. So yes. he can't complain because Team Recco consists of Jerry Recco and Son as he's joined our fantasy league. Now, his team is a disaster, and his right. team is going nowhere, but he, he enjoys the fantasy talk because he couldn't beat us, so he joined us. And it's tough for anybody that joins that league in their first year. It's really difficult to do well. I think we've seen many people, including myself, not do that well early on. You're just getting your feet wet. You're taking over a new team. It's tough. You, you know, you're kind of taking over for... More often than not, the reason that you are now an owner is because the previous owner was terrible and got booted, you know, because, like, you know, Ernie didn't like him or something. But, uh, no, I'm kidding. But uh, He doesn't have that power. No, he doesn't have that kind of stroke. But if you're doing, like, a poor job, usually you get booted. So you probably don't have a good team. You didn't do a good good enough job trading off your assets. So you're entering a tough situation to begin with. Plus, you're getting a feel for the league and the constant text. You know, guys in this league will trade, you know, text you about trades at any hour because we all work in radio and we work bizarre hours. So, at, you know, midnight, you're getting, you know, do you want Aaron Nola? You know, so you're getting all <laughs> kinds of weird offers at all times. So it's tough to take. Plus, he's got weird hours and stuff. So it, it, it's it's uh, it's definitely something you got to get your feet wet. So I think a year or two in, you can kind of get a feel for how owners are going to be. Well, what's amazing is that, and I think everybody who's in a fantasy baseball or fantasy football league now as we sit here in 2018, they have a long history, a league that's been around for a long time. And the league that I run started all the way back in 2004. It was a very, very long time ago. And it started on Yahoo, which is where we are. I mean, Yahoo Fantasy Baseball, and they don't pay me a dime to say this, has the best fantasy baseball league. I'm most comfortable with it for the year-long format. And I think we're just all used to it. I mean, for me personally, 2004 is a long time ago. I mean, to use that same thing for 14 years is a long time. And the league has featured three guys, myself and two of my friends I went to high school with, that have remained in this league from the beginning. Has it morphed into an FAN league? It has. For a while, it was a serious, serious satellite radio league because I worked there, right? So it was my friends plus guys I worked with at Sirius. Then I come over to the fan, and now it's morphed into a fan league. And about six years ago, I had an epiphany, and that was to take the next step. And the next step was to make it a keeper league. And I don't know about you, ever since I went to the keeper league format, 
I almost dis- I have disgust for non-keeper leagues. I don't get it. Like hmm. I don't understand the concept of not having one particular guy or two particular guys on your team for a half a decade. It's weird to me. The idea of a regular draft right. where Mike Trout's going number one overall <laughs> doesn't even make sense to me. I've become so spoiled and jaded that a keeper league is the only way to do it. That's the way I look at it now. Well, and uh, yeah, because I'm in a few football leagues as well that I've been in forever that are keepers, but I joined a new football league last year, the one that me and you and I are both in, obviously the one that uh, Troy, who used to work here, runs, and it's not a keeper league. And I find it so difficult to make trades because more often than not, you see trades for future in our league. Right. You know? So, like, when you start to, like, kind of tank in that league or start to have a bad season, you're really caught between a rock and a hard place because, like, what are you really getting back in return? So it's really tar- hard to trade off your assets. So you're kind of, like, stuck in, like, the middle there. So you, it's really hard to not deal with a keeper league. You hit it on the head. You hit on the head my most difficult thing. And, and it's with football, and I understand why – a keeper league in football in different ways, maybe not as appealing as baseball. And, yeah, the football league I'm in that you described is not a keeper league, and the most difficult thing I run into is exactly what you said. At the trade deadline, what are you supposed to do? Right. I remember a few years ago I was having a terrible year, and I always wanted to keep trying. I wanted to be as active as I could to win as many games as I could, even though I was out of the playoff race. And I remember as we got closer to the trade deadline, I would field these trade offers, and I would think to myself, well, what am I really doing here? I'm just, all I'm doing is shuffling the chairs on the Titanic, you know? <laughs> yeah. I'm not doing anything that can help me next You're year. You're trading, I, like, your third wide receiver for somebody's, like, backup running back. Right. More often than not, that's what it comes down to, especially once the season gets going. I mean, you could kind of pull off that blockbuster deal maybe before the season starts, maybe night of the draft, because you haven't really, you know, established the season yet. But when you're like four, five, six weeks in, it's very difficult. I know you and I discussed the trade last year um, for Jordy Nelson once Aaron Rodgers got hurt. There's a couple of things here and there. But like as far as making impactful trades in a league with no keepers, I find it to be very difficult. Yeah, it's difficult on what to do if you're out of it or if you're purchasing, if you're trying to improve your team before the deadline. What are you supposed to do? That's why I almost like the idea of that aspect of a keeper league where, hey, you're a buyer, you're a seller, you're this, you're that. And then, and I I really think this is a big deal, the emotional attachment you get to a player. I mean, (laughs) My guy, you know, you hear that a lot at the draft. uh, For those of you, obviously, that, and that's all of you that don't sit there and are in our drafts, the my guy thing gets thrown out a lot. And there are guys that, like, you have that you didn't keep and they're still your guy, which is a ridiculous concept. Because if <laughs> well, they were your guy, you should have kept them. And they're always like, I got my guy back. I wanted my guy. Or other people will be like, well, you owned this guy last year, so I'm going to offer him in a trade. And it's like, well, just because I had him on my team last year doesn't mean I'll trade for him from now to the end of eternity. You know, Yeah, so, you never know. You could rip somebody off but that right, way. But that, that, that happens a lot. But, yeah, you often, as you have for Matt Carpenter, who is the only – you told me this stat the other day – is the only guy in the keeper era – that has been on one team the entire time, yeah. and that includes Mike Trout. We, we started the league as a keeper league in 2013. So that 2013 draft was the first draft with keeper ramifications, and I think a lot of it because people have ADD, and <laughs> you, know, you have Mike Trout, and you're like, oh, I can't wait to trade Mike Trout to see what I can get from right. him. The only guy in the entire league in baseball who's been on the same team from the 2013 draft till now is Matt Carpenter. And it's and Matt's a, a tremendous player, yep. and he's had a good run recently, and oh, I love good. Matt Carpenter. I mean, you're being a great run. A great run. I mean, he's gotten you run. back into playoff contention sure. single-handedly. Sure. But 
it's amazing that that's the one guy. It's it's crazy to me. Well, I mean, I think you should preface this, and I'm probably sure you've mentioned this on the air, but the way your keeper league is ran, see, some of the leagues I'm in, like football, whether, whether it be, you know, you have three keepers and you just keep three guys. But in our league, the guy you keep, whatever round he was drafted in, you lose that draft pick. And Carpenter is way at the back end of the draft. Might even be last round. Or 22nd second round right. of a 23-round So that, draft. obviously, yeah. you take a guy like yeah. Matt Carpenter, who would probably go in the first, let's just say, four or five rounds of any sure. standard league. And if it's a keeper league, it's even more, because I you consider it the first three rounds are, are the keeper guys. So for him to be that far back is such incredible value. And like you said, it's become your guy over the years. So I could see that. And you're a pretty loyal guy. So I, I'm, I, loyal I'm not guy. stunned by that. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, like, for him to be the final keeper, I think that that puts you in a position of not really wanting him dealing, not wanting to deal him. And certainly you wouldn't off of the run he's been having. Well, and, and here are the rules here for everybody listening. Because these keeper leagues, and I, I've talked to so many different people. Brandon Tierney, who works at the CBS Sports Network, is in a keeper baseball league. And I remember he was describing the rules of his league. And they were good. I mean, they, they were fine. Right. They were just so different than what we came up with. And the truth is, and this was before you were in the league, Lugie, uh, in you know January of 2013, I called my two friends from high school, and I said, let's all go out for lunch, and we are going to draft rules for a, for a keeper fantasy baseball league. So here are these three numbnuts, okay? <laughs> Me and these two other dudes, we all couldn't be any more different. And we're sitting there having an Italian lunch discussing, all right, we're going to start a keeper league. What should be the rules? And I remember telling them, look, I'm sure we're going to miss something. We're going to come up with all these rules and something's going to happen right out of the gate that's going to expose our rules. And looking back on it, it's been five years now, six years, whatever it is. I guess it's five and a half years. Yeah. I, there are so many things I would do differently about how I would organize it. But basically the concept was this. You get three keepers. Where a guy is drafted is the round pick you lose. So if you you know, draft a guy in the third round and you want to keep him, you lose your third round pick. If you draft a guy in the first round, you're allowed to keep a first round pick. That's why guys like Mike Trout and Bryce Harper have been kept, though they've been traded numerous times or redrafted or what have you. You can. And looking back on it, the first thing I thought about all these years later is if I could reset the whole thing, I would say you can't keep anybody taken in the first three rounds. Like hmm. to me, I would love to go back. Now I can't because no. when I made the rules, Everybody is now committed to, well, this is my guy, that's my guy. Nobody wants to reset the keepers. And I get it. It's been five years, six years. Nobody wants to do it. But I look back at the rules that were created, and I see holes. And I see issues. I see things I, I would have done differently. I don't know if there's a perfect way and a perfect system for keeper league rules. And what I've also realized is there are so many ways you can find loopholes. Well, and that brings me to my next point. I'm just trying to get the vision out of my head of you and two other guys, you know, eating baked ziti at some Italian <laughs> restaurant in Astoria going did. over this. But uh, And then you went, like, bowling afterwards or <laughs> caught a matinee because you're too cheap to go to a movie at night. But the, I digress. But the thing about our league that a lot of people don't know that aren't here in the inner circle, the inner workings, I often compare it to, like, a pirate ship. There is so much underhanded, you know, skullduggery going on where guys are trying to, you know, screw each other over or find loopholes to the rules. There's been so many different rules implemented over the years because there's always these guys, maybe even like real life, that are trying to find an edge and trying to find that different way to get ahead that each year we sort of have this like, all right, this has got to go, this has got to go, or we certainly have to vote on this because, you know, this guy dropped Buster Posey. I mean, it hasn't been too, too bad since I joined the league, but I know there was a ton of controversy 
I think involving Buster Posey before I got into the <laughs> league where, like, guys, he got dropped and somebody had enough waiver dollars. It was this whole big thing where there was collusion and this, no, no, this whole can I, can I explain In a it? different department. That we, <laughs> it was like I, this whole thing. Let me explain because I think a lot of people listening will know who created the Buster Posey controversy. And that is the man who produces Mike Francesa, Brian Monzo. Right. Brian Monzo is a starter. You know, he, he starts crap. I, mean, I think he <laughs> likes to. Oh, yeah, yeah, I would agree. And so all of a sudden, one day, you know, it's, it's August. It's after the trade deadline. This is the August. And all of a sudden, then I go to the Yahoo website and I see Buster Posey has been released. And I'm thinking, what the hell is going on? How is Buster Posey released? And remember, or at least in our league, and I think a lot of leagues do this, you have a three-day waiver period. So I didn't have to immediately react, but I I quickly went to Monzo as he's getting ready to produce Mike. You know, my, uh, Monzo, do this, do that. Mike, Mons, what the hell are you doing? (laughs) And he's like, what, what, what did I do? Yeah. I said, you released Buster Posey. Why'd you release Buster Posey? And his rationale was, well, I tried to trade him at the deadline. Nobody gave me what I wanted, so screw him. I'm just gonna I'm gonna release him. <laughs> and I'm like, well, how does that make any sense? If you didn't get what you wanted, why would you just release him? You don't get any benefit for releasing him. He's like, nah, he's not having a great year. I'm releasing him. And it was so difficult because what the hell are you supposed to do as commissioner? As commissioner of this league, right? I, I don't want to be a dictator, though I'm about to. I'm about to become one. I don't know what to do. Like, how could I tell this guy not to cut somebody, even though he's so clearly and obviously shouldn't be caught. And the only reason it turned out not to be that big of a deal and I let it go is the guy with the most waiver money happened to be way out of the playoffs. Mm-hmm. It was a non-factor. And so I basically told him, look, don't be an idiot. Bid on Buster Posey. <laughs> Get him on your team. Don't let a playoff team, just from the sheer stupidity of Brian Monzo, end up with Buster Posey for nothing. And that was the controversy. It was just Brian Monzo deciding, I want to cut somebody for no apparent reason. Well, and things like that, now that might be an extreme example, but guys certainly get dropped in this league that go on to be great players. Uh, I've told you this before, uh, Jose Ramirez, who's sort of my guy now and my darling, obviously top three, four player in the league right now, uh, and doesn't show uh, any signs of slowing up, was actually dropped the year I won for Aaron Hicks. And it was dropped, and Mons, I love you, but Monzo dropped him late in the year. Uh, obviously, Ramirez was not on this level yet. He had a really, really great second half that year. He was sort of coming up, and you know he was really hitting well, but he wasn't obviously a top-five fantasy player yet. And I scooped him up, and now he's you know going to be on my team till whenever. I mean, I certainly am like thrilled to have the guy. But things like that happen, but... That's a guy who wasn't established yet. When you have a Buster Posey, who is arguably the best catcher in baseball, certainly at that time, you know, the eyebrows start to get raised where it's like, okay, why would you do something like that? And you say, well, everybody, you know, this, that, and the other. But there are things in this league that make you think like, all right, was there a little something on the side or was there like a deal or something like that? And you as the commissioner sort of have to try to police that mid-season or at the end of the season. And, and it's a difficult job because a well, lot of people get, you know, you'll get the side text like, oh, can you believe this happened? Can you believe that happened? Because we don't really have like a group text or a group forum or like a message board. I mean, we have a message board, but more often than not, the texts just go to you. Well, Lugie, I'll tell you a story. The reason why there is no group text for this league is there was an incident. Okay, <laughs> because years ago, this before is this you is grown were... men, by the way, playing in this fantasy <laughs> yeah. league. I just wanted to... <laughs> Everybody can relate to it because I'm sure everybody oh, in every league, of course, this. yes. Two guys, I'm not going to name them. They don't work at the radio station (laughs) right now, so no one knows who they are. But two guys started trash talking, and it got escalated very quickly Mm -hmm. and got 
bad and crossed the line in everything. And from that moment on, when I send emails to the league, I actually blind email everybody because I don't want to turn it into that. that that's my biggest fear. But right. What's difficult is I'm the rule maker. I'm the commissioner. And I've tried to run this league like I was running a democracy where I'd say, OK, let's vote on this. Let's vote on that. Let's vote on this. And what I've realized is that doesn't work because everybody's voting for their own self-interests. Oh, well, no for one, sure. Right. So I have decided, all right, I don't even know if I told you this. But, but then I there's often times, and I'm sorry to cut you off, but there's often times where we vote on stuff and then people who voted for something then are annoyed and like, well, I didn't, you know, now I changed my mind. It's like, but you already voted on it. So it's like there's always, there's always an issue. We just need to, like, uh, have a huge complaint box, put it in your <laughs> office, and people could just write their complaints there because there no, always I... is, like, people complaining. Now, another thing, too, is that we have to talk about, and you'll see this a lot in any walk of life and in fantasy leagues, there are certain camps and cliques in the league, and there are certain people that have, if you want to coin a wrestling phrase, that have heat, or there are people that have issues so that they're always kind of looking out at like, oh, so-and-so did this. I'm not happy about it. Does that make sense? And they're always looking to kind of not tattletale on each other, but they're always looking to blow the whistle on each other. Well, yeah, people who don't like each other. Uh, two people or three people always make trades together. I right. mean, it, it probably happens in real Major League Baseball. We of just course. don't even yeah. realize No, it. absolutely. You know? Definitely. Cashman probably can't stand Dombrowski. I mean, he right. probably is like, that douche, he's cheating. So... That kind of stuff happens, but I've realized that this league has now become a dictatorship. I have decided I'm <laughs> going to be a dictator, and I am going to just change rules the way I want. It's never going to favor me, even though people assume that. I'm never going to do anything no, like that. you're not like that. But the voting is over, okay? The days of voting, I'm just going to implement rules, and I'm going to tell you my biggest issue right now, and I don't want to say you're a part of it, Lugie. Well, we're on not. the heels of something, because this week there was something that I think, now I haven't heard about it, but I knew when it was going down that it was going to, you know, certainly upset a lot of people well, in the league. Here's here's the bottom line, okay? And, and this has been going on for a few years, and there have been some owners that don't like it, okay? There have been buying and selling, okay? So the teams that are in it are going all in. They'll trade their first-round pick, their second-round pick. They'll go, you know, crazy to improve their roster. And there are some owners that don't want to give up anything. Ernie, who's my producer, is the cheapest guy in the world. He don't want to give up anything. He doesn't want to give up a 10th round pick, let alone a first round pick. Right. But what's happened is that there are owners, and there's nothing wrong with it because it's well amongst, well in the rules. I have not created any rule that restricts anybody from trading all their draft picks. If they want to put themselves in a hole the following year or believe, hey, I don't even need any draft picks. I've got three good keepers. Right. I'll find guys in free agency. I'd rather go for and win a championship. There's nothing against that. And we've tried to implement rules like that on a vote, and it got voted down as far as trading some of your top draft picks. Yes. We had a, we had a uh, vote this year, a rule about not trading I, your top five picks or something I like did. that. I did, yeah. And I it got voted it, down. Well, what I put out there was you can't trade your top five picks before July 1st. Oh, that's what it past, was. Right, right, right. There guys, have been guys sold in April and May, which is, <laughs> yeah. which is completely ridiculous. Like getting a, getting a head start on your summer vacation here. Right. They just rip their team apart in May and just start selling well, guys well, off. Because the thing is, is like, and I think a lot of the guys in this league like try to be the first to sell. But the problem is, is that like, 
each year, like if you lose, you know, I want to walk to the pay window here. I have to hand you the money if I if I lose. So like I want to try to win. Oh no! So I like if it. I'm out of it, my my theory would be: shouldn't you buy? Which we've seen more of, and that has a lot to do with uh, moving the trade deadline and a couple other things. But like the idea of selling in April and May is ridiculous. If it you is. have a bad team, there's guys to add on the waiver wire. You can make trades. Be aggressive because you know handing you that whatever the league is 100, 100 I don't whatever whatever we have to pay you for the league is it's not fun handing you that money but but at the end of the day and it goes with trading all your picks to get better players or right. selling in April or May I can't legislate stupid I mean if <laughs> exactly that's what you want to do with your team if that's what you want to do with the money you put in the league you have a right to do it I've just noticed and you didn't do anything wrong but Lugie has in my opinion the best team in the league you have the best record in the league right so the facts are the facts you've had the best season in this league Last year, you had a pretty good year. You made the playoffs. The year before that, you won the whole thing. So you're on a very good run right now of winning. And I don't blame you for this. But what you did is you went out and you were very aggressive before the trade deadline. You traded a first-round pick, and you did it in a long-term deal, so I can't get on you, for Ozzie Albies of the Atlanta Braves, who has very good value. And you went out. You were very aggressive. We have another guy in this league does the same thing. And it's not that you're doing anything wrong or he's doing anything wrong, but I've realized it kind of sucks. Like, I'm just, I, I've, I've kind of cooled to the idea that a team can just trade their first-round pick, their second-round pick, their third-round pick, and I know you're challenging yourself and saying, hey, I'm going to find a way to be good next year, and you probably will. I think you're a good owner. I think some of these other owners screw themselves for a year and say, hey, it's worth it. I'll just become an every-other-year owner. Well, we've seen it happen twice now. The two guys that have done this previous one finished first, the other finished second, the next year they didn't make the playoffs. Right. So it, they weren't able to overcome that. But when you win and to tie it into like real baseball, and I this will sting both of us, but I, you know, whatever, uh, when the Royals beat the Mets, now that the Royals stink, it doesn't matter because they had a parade and the Mets are sitting there going, what do we do now? And, well, we don't have anything to show I for. I agree. It. I think, you know what it does, the reason I've, I've warmed up to not like it, and I don't know what other leagues do. I don't know if other leagues somehow make it so unappealing to trade your top picks right. that people don't do it. But it kind of devalues not only the draft, but it devalues your season unless you get super aggressive and trade for star players. I don't know. And you know what's funny about it? For years, there have been owners that have complained to me and said, I don't like the fact that teams have the ability to trade all their picks. And my answer has always been, People can do whatever the hell they want. Mm -hmm. You know, if you don't want to trade your picks, don't trade your picks. These guys want to trade their picks. They can. Right. So I've always been in the camp, the libertarian camp of, hey, let, let teams do whatever they want. And I don't know why, but this season, I've just had enough. And as dictator, because I am now dictator, I haven't decided what I'm going to do. I don't have an answer. I don't have an answer for you. But I know I'm going to do something. I'm going to do something big. I, not that I need to defend myself. Go I ahead. And you, you said don't. that. But the Albies trade I made for current and for future, and I gave up a one and like a five or so. So I, I gave up a lot for him, but I felt like that's a guy I could have not only help me win this year, but a guy hopefully that I could pair off with a Jose Ramirez and maybe a Mitch Hannig or somebody like that and could be part of my young core. So that made sense. And the other thing that I did this week that caused a lot of this, you know, uproar was I was offered Trevor Story, Edwin Diaz, J.D. Martinez. I believe that was it. Uh, yeah, I got Polanco, but in a, in a lesser deal. So those three guys were offered to me, and I'm sitting there going, 
I'm in first place. If I win two <laughs> out of the next three years, you know, if I win two out of three years, I'm like basically in the Hall of Fame of, of Evan Fantasy League. And I have the confidence, not the cockiness, because I'm not really like that, but I have the confidence in myself that next year I could find hidden value because I'm a big believer in there's so many guys. I, I could just think of a few off the top of my head right now that weren't even drafted that were all-stars. Nick Markakis, Jed Lowry, and that's just two real Max quick. Max Muncy. Max Muncy. So there are guys, if you are diligent on the waiver wire, if you do your homework, I really truly believe in a lot of times, because I think those early round picks, you more often than not will find yourself going after the name brand guys and the guys that are a little long in the tooth and you feel forced to take this guy. Sure. So I almost think sometimes we overvalue that. I think they're great for guys like getting a Chris Sale or getting a real Max Scherzer, ace pitchers. But once you start getting away from those tippy top players, I really think it evens out and you could look at the drift every year and there are guys that flop in the early rounds and there are great players that you can get late and they're undrafted. So that would always be my excuse. Plus, if you trade a lot of early picks, you could pay for it on the back end. I just believe, and I think sometimes with this league, we oftentimes try to make it too uniform. And I think you need the flexibility of having owners that are cheap or having owners that are going to be aggressive. I think you need that. If you have everybody you have to wear the you know the shirt and tie here, no, it's no, no, just no, no. it kind of makes it I... like where everybody follows certain people's way of wanting to play fantasy. And it's like, you know what? You have to live with that. Like, partially why I was so aggressive, and I would tell that to him, he's actually, he's like, he's working tonight, I could tell him after that, is Hoff, or Pete Hoffman is still, if when Hoffman is in contention, he is aggressive. He will trade anything not bolted to the ground. You know, I make the joke, like, he'll trade, like, you know, whatever for picks. So I knew I had to be super aggressive when Hoff is my competition because he'll be aggressive. He'll so it's like an punch. arms race. It's right. Like the but if US I'm facing, like, you Soviet. or Troy or, or Ernie, guys that tend to be a little bit more, like, you know, uh, you know, short arm steep pockets that are a little bit more, you know, tight, then I could kind of lay back a little bit and, like, try to find the value. So that's how I did. And the year that Hoff was – and this is a, a real long answer, I apologize. But the year Hoff was really aggressive against me, I laid back and grabbed value guys like a Brian Dozier, like a Justin Verlander, like our boy Justin Turner. And those are the guys that really helped me win the league. So there's more – just because I got those players, I'm not guaranteed to win. So that's why I really – I get the instant reaction of trying to, like, change it, but I still don't think – I really think at the end of the day, it does not hurt the league. In fact, it actually is good for the league. I want to put this in perspective now. Tommy Lugauer traded his first, second, third, fourth, sixth, and seventh. You only have your fifth, and then from there on, eight, eight, nine, right. and you're And fine. one of the eights will go to Alvis, right. yeah. I, and it's not, you know what it is? I got to figure out a way. This is what I want. Because you're right. I don't want to make everybody have to think alike. And this goes all the way back to what I said earlier. I said, if I could go back and change one thing about this league and a keeper league, if I could start over, I said, what I would make is that you cannot keep your first three round picks. And you know what that would do? That would make trading a first and trading a second and trading a third crazy. Because now all of a sudden, Mike Trout is available every year. Bryce Harper, even though he sucks this year, is available (laughs) every year. So there's no great answer to it. Nope. I don't know. And, and it's, it's what's confused me about Keeper Leagues. I've Googled Keeper Leagues baseball so often to try to figure out what is the perfect league. And I'm sure I'm going to get massive tweets saying, your league is so stupid. You wrote the wrong rules. That's dumb. This is the way it should be. I don't know what the right answer is. I can tell you that right now. I don't know. So 
That's the funny thing about it. But it's been, you know, five years. It's been a long time. It's been a long time, man. Yeah, and, and again, like I said, I think there's just different ways to skin a cat. And I think that when you start to poke holes at it and you start to go, well, you can't do this and you can't do that, it's when you start to make the league be – listen, the, and, and I, I always think and – I, and, and, and I'll tie it in because I know we're going to talk about wrestling. And I just – I love that Macho Man promo when he's like, you know, the cream rises to the top. The cream – and he's, I'm the cream of the crop. You know, all that. So the cream always rises to the top. The good players in the league always find well, a I, way to win. I will say this because you have been a supporter of mine because I've had a terrible season. This would, been a, would have been the first year I missed the playoffs in eight years, and that's something I take pride in even though I don't win championships. See, I don't win championships. I'm the Braves, but I'll get in. And I was having a terrible, terrible, terrible season to the point where I was beginning to sell. And you said, you'll find a way to get in. You'll find a way to get in. And Lugies looked prophetic. I've climbed all the way back. I'm within one game of a playoff spot. I went from selling to buying. And this week in fantasy, and this is why head-to-head can be so cruel, <laughs> I am having an offensive week where if I was facing Tom Lugauer or I was facing Ernie or I was facing anybody else, I'd probably be winning most of the categories. But I'm facing this human monster known as Brian Monzo. Oof. And his offense is on steroids this week. (laughs) So it's so bad. All right, real quick, and we'll Mm -hmm. get to wrestling. A couple of uh, tweeted fantasy sports questions for you. Are you ready? I am ready. Number one, Frank the Bike Messenger says, is Zach Britton more valuable as a setup guy on a winning team than as a closer on a bad team? I think the key to that answer is, does your league have holds? Right. If your league has holds... I'd probably say the good team, the one negative about Britain right now is that the Yankees literally have right. 77 <laughs> capable hold guys. Yep. That's the And if I'm not mistaken, you have Dellen Batanzas. I, I have Chad Green. Yep. You're fine because I think Dellen's role is safe. Yes. But I think a guy like Chad Green and David Robertson from a hold standpoint are going to take a very big hit over the next few weeks. Yeah, and what role does Josh Holder, who's been coming on strong and has pitched very, very well, if he was on any other team, he could have been he could be their closer. That's how good he's been. I mean, they just have an embarrassment of riches in that pen. Um, I think you're right with the holds category. Um, you and I sort of share a brain on that with relievers where I think a lot of people just circle saves as a category, and they're like almost get too crazy in that, and those will probably be the people that are obsessed with like a Fernando Rodney. Saves is one category. I think the real strong relievers that could do well in wins, ERA, whip, strikeouts are so valuable because they're helping you in so many categories. And if you do have holds, you get that added uh, category. Plus, once in a while, they'll sneak a save in here or there. So yeah. those guys could be so valuable. I think of Andrew Miller and his prime, anybody on the Yankees now. The, the list goes on and on. And those guys could be so good. So if you have a really good player like a Zach Britton, I wouldn't worry about it that much. Like a guy I have on my team right now, Shane Green, who's had an okay year for the Tigers. There's talks he might go to the Dodgers. I hope he hasn't gotten traded since we started this podcast. But, like, if he went to L.A., I would still value him highly because he's going to the National League. He's pitched better. He's not going to be in a super-duper high-pressure role. And he still has value for me across the board. the because key he's, is, you he's know, a good pitcher. here's the Pretty key. If you're in, and I, a long time ago, I guess, probably the first part of the this fantasy league's run is we didn't have holds. And if that's the case, you're kind of screwed. And right. I think that, w- that would be very difficult. If you're in a league without holds and you've got closers, Jairus Familia traded to Oakland, now the eighth inning guy. Zach Britton traded away. If Shane Green is traded away. Kelvin Soria, Herrera. Soria got traded. Yeah, Kelvin Herrera at first, though he's closing now because Doolittle's hurt. 
That stuff kind of kills you. Those guys become useless. Yeah. Uh, one other fantasy question. We'll get to wrestling. Uh, Big Mike Snow says, is it reasonable to waste a roster spot on Justice Sheffield at this point? Do you think he'll be viable in August? I lean towards him probably not being and having a big fantasy impact only because the Yankees just traded for J-Hap. I don't think they're pulling Sonny Gray out of the rotation unless things get bad. I mean, I think Sheffield should have been up here. I think he's pitched well enough to be up here. But right now, as we sit here today, heading towards the trade deadline, heading towards August, I don't think with about a month, a little over a month to go in fantasy regular seasons, I don't think Sheffield's really going to have any impact from a fantasy standpoint. No, I don't think he will either. And again, it depends on the guy's league. Is it like a dynasty league? Is it a keeper league? I mean, all those things factor in. Based on the question, it sounds like he's in it. And uh, more often than than not, I think you have to try to go for it that year. So if you feel like you can add a player um, for that, uh, that's going to help you that year, then go for it. But I will, I will bring up a very – that actually reminds me of something, and this is like a crazy scenario. I bring it up to people all the time. In our uh, fantasy football league that we do here, I had uh, David Johnson in his rookie year. This is back when he was just doing like spe- – early in the year he was just on special teams, and he was like the backup to, uh, I believe, uh, was it Edron James or Chris Johnson, one of them. Um, so I, I had him on my roster and I was saving him. I was keeping him there cause I knew he had, he had a lot of ability. You could see the explosiveness on, he had, he took a couple back for touchdowns on kick returns. So I kept him there and, and, and I was, I had him on my roster, but I dropped him in like week right before he started, I dropped him to pick up, you know, a third wide receiver or something like that. And I kicked myself ever since because I probably would have won the league the last couple of years, not last year, but the last year or two prior to that, if I had him on my roster. So there's that always that fear that if I throw somebody back into the pool and he becomes this great player, then what? So again, if it's at a keeper league, I don't know, but that's that always the fear in the keeper league is if I get rid of this guy, I'm like a Jose Ramirez with Monzo. And you're like, man, I'm kicking myself now because at the time I'm picking up some, you know, you know, middle reliever or like some right. shortstop that I'm streaming or a starting pitcher. And it's like, I wish I held on to that guy, you know? So by you never know. It's the risk you take. By the way. Um, so right as we recorded the podcast, I tweeted to everybody, hey, recording a podcast about fantasy baseball and SummerSlam. If you have any questions, tweet them over. And that's where some of these Twitter questions have come from. This is now already, it's been a few minutes, has caused major controversy in our fantasy league. <laughs> as a few owners, including one of the, quote, founding fathers, one of the friends I went to high school with, is very upset. How dare he not be invited on to talk about oh, fantasy baseball? <laughs> so... I, I apologize. I've already caused a lot of heat. Oh, with my some God. Of the other I hope owners. I didn't say anything bad here the last 20 minutes or oh. so. I don't want to be like, you know, uh, hissed at. I'm actually one of the more popular people in the league. I feel like everybody You're likes me. Yeah, You're I'm well liked. liked. So it's easy to, like, do deals and stuff like that when people like you. Well, <laughs> I, I, I have always referred to this fantasy owner because he's got one of the great fantasy names. Oh, yes. I saw that. Yeah, I, yeah. I got to say his real name. Yeah. Well, I don't want to say the full fantasy team oh, name yeah, yeah, because yeah, even on it. this podcast, it's a very crude. Yeah, crude people name. connect the dots though if you say it, but, uh, but that's fine. Bottom line is he he honors Adam Eaton, of course. The right. uh, and former... he's not and he's not eating baked seedy. No, so, no, right. I got of it. course, okay. the former pitcher. He was a pitcher with the Padres and the Rangers, and I forget who else. And now he's an outfielder. Yes. So <laughs> there you go. I'm sorry, Adam Eaton. You were not invited on this edition. He also tweeted us saying, "Hopefully, you're discussing my latest deal." Yes, he, while we were recording this, yes. I actually had to approve one of the trades he made. And basically, he's was, getting Andrew Miller. Yeah, yeah, that was it. Essentially, he bought Andrew Miller, who sucks and is always hurting. <laughs> so, congratulations, Adam Eaton. Enjoy that. 
Uh, let me get to the wrestling portion of this thing yep. because SummerSlam is still starting to come together. And I think the biggest fear all of us have is that Brock Lesnar is going to fight Roman Reigns. And as of right now, as of this recording, that's the scheduled SummerSlam main event. Yep. That is not going to happen. Okay. I, I, I'm telling you right now, and maybe I'll look like an idiot when that is the main event. The more I think about it, there's no way they're going to put that in the ring at Barclays Center. You've got the Strowman factor, even though he's already been, quote-unquote, given a match with Kevin Owens. But not even that. I don't think they're just eliminating Bobby Lashley from the main event. I, I don't know why. Maybe I'm wrong. But I don't think they're going to have the balls to give us Brock Lesnar, Roman Reigns, one-on-one. -on -one. This is going to become some kind of three-way, four-way, some kind of match. The SummerSlam is probably going to be about... 12 and a half hours long, <laughs> probably. And then you have the NXT show the night before. And you see it a lot of times on these long shows when they give you sort of a flat main event. And by flat, I just mean like, you know, two guys that maybe that the crowd is just not into. We saw it at Mania with these two guys. I think it is very, not, 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 it's not even risky. This will not work if they put this match one on one and crown Roman again in front of that crowd after a long, a long night of wrestling. So to your point, do they add Lashley? Do they add uh, the Strowman cash in and just join the match? Do they have a four-way like they did last year? Something like that, which will definitely juice the crowd up because that main event last year at SummerSlam was, was outstanding. So I just it, can't imagine they're going to do this again. But Roman's kind of in that category that I put Triple H in or, you know, Hogan in his day where you just throw out the rule book with these guys because it's clearly Vince's guy. He shoved us down our throat for year after year after year. It clearly hasn't worked. I'm sure he's a good guy. He's a, he's, he's very good in the ring. His promos are bad. They're really not that good. Maybe it's not his fault, but he's obviously a guy they've tried to anoint for years now, and the crowd has rejected it time after time and again. So, I mean, it's just probably not the right move, but it seems like this is their guy all the time. So there's no reason to not think they won't do it. Here, here's the problem I'm, I'm having here. Why are we sitting here in July and August with Brock Lesnar still as the universal champion? I well, mean, it's enough. Did they did, – I don't know. I, it's hard to know because we're not there. But, I mean, like, I thought the idea was to have Roman win at WrestleMania. Now – did they, they wanted pull, to swerve us. Did they pull an audible because they didn't like how the crowd was? Or did they go into it thinking, you know, this Lugie, is the time? Loogie, Loogie, The crowd is never not going to crap on it. And here's the problem. Now they've tr basically trained you to say, Brock doesn't like you, Brock doesn't like So now Brock, who is hot as a heel, has no steam, no momentum. Everybody hates him. Everybody hates Roman. And you're going to put these guys out there for six, seven minutes to basically stink the joint out, which is what you're heading towards if you go on a one-on-one -on -one match here. So they accomplished nothing. They lowered Brock's uh, stock. They haven't gotten Roman to the point where he needed. You sacrificed Lashley, who could have been – I know people are kind of, you know – some people like Lashley, some people don't. But bottom line is you sacrifice Lashley like you sacrifice Strowman, like you sacrificed Daniel Bryan for Roman to get, you know, to get his title yeah, win over why, Brock. And, but, and for what? But why did it? What here's have you accomplished? What I, here's what I don't understand. So I'm sitting here watching the last pay-per-view, 
And Roman Reigns, Bobby Lashley, they give it the proper build. They don't main event it. And Bobby Lashley, and I admitted this on the post-podcast I did after the pay-per-view, I was genuinely surprised Bobby Lashley went over him cleanly. Yeah, genuinely but now surprised. you know why. But now you know why. 50-50 booking. You what go, the, I go, you go, I go. What was the point? Because I think I mean, they think wanted to it. build up Lashley as this monster so that Reigns could get the win back. I know On a Raw two your, weeks later? Yeah. I mean, to your point, why didn't he just beat him to begin with? The only thing that now that I think about it is the only way that that would somehow make sense, which they don't often make sense. They, they basically make sense. never make sense. But if you wanted to make it make sense, Lashley could then kind of maybe have a gripe to get in this match well, he because is. he's won one with Reigns. He is. He's going to be in the match. Here's my problem overall. First of all, Brock Lesnar shouldn't be champion anymore. This has gone on for a year and a half. He's never there. They got away with it for a year. Fine. They even got away with it before that years ago when he had the six-month run and he was barely there. This has gone overboard now. He cannot be champion. He should have. If they love Roman Reigns so much, Roman Reigns should have beat him at WrestleMania. And if he didn't beat him there, he should have beat him in that dopey pay-per-view, the greatest Royal Rumble, where there are a bunch of sexist pigs and they didn't let wow. any of the women wrestle. No, those are the facts. No, okay? no, you're. I'm you're sorry. Right. They no, glor- no, it's 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 not good. I like how they're pushing the women and they're giving them their own pay-per-view. Yet they bow down right. to that ridiculous backwards government. Okay, they're not our friends. Let's just get the government is not our friends. We all know that. All right, we should know that by now. Uh, sorry, I'm getting off into a little bit of a political. No, it should be here. said. It should have been said. So he should not be champion anymore. And when he loses the title, it should be cleanly putting somebody over in a one-on-one match. And so if he loses at SummerSlam, which he may, I don't even know anymore. It's not going to be that because no. they're going to make it a multi-man match. That's not the way it should be. The way, see, they had a golden opportunity. They, when Brock destroyed John Cena years ago at SummerSlam, they made him, after beating The Undertaker a few months earlier, they had built him up into this indestructible monster. And he was set up to put somebody over in an epic way. He didn't do it at that WrestleMania. And I understand they decided to go the other route. Seth Rollins cashed in. Roman Reigns isn't put over. He wasn't ready. Okay, fine. They were given another opportunity. And that was after he destroys Bill Goldberg and goes on another one-year run. They're in the same boat, Lugie, at this past WrestleMania where they can put somebody over in an epic way. If it was up to me, it wouldn't be Roman Reigns. It would be Finn Balor, but okay, fine. Roman Reigns is the guy, and they still won't pull the trigger. At some point after all these years, bro, they have to take advantage of the monster they created and put somebody over, beating Brock cleanly, in a one-on-one way, when are they going to do that? I don't know. And they have built this up for Roman, like I said before, to get this big win over Brock. He's been chasing. He's been chasing. They sacrificed Daniel Bryan. They sacrificed Strowman. They Samoa Joe, uh, Bobby Lashley. All to lead up to the one-on-one match where Roman Reigns gets crowned. Now, we may see that at the Barclays. I tend to think probably along the same lines as you that... I wouldn't be stunned if a Braun Strowman's walking out of there with the title or something like that. So they built this up for him to have this big coronation and finally beat Brock one-on-one, and they've completely botched it because they've gotten to a point where it's almost that situation where they don't even care about Lesnar at this point. They just want him to show up and drop the title. But he got a huge reaction when, they, when Kurt at the pay-per-view was like, we're going to strip him. That and that dopey oh. freaking clock for the stupid Iron Man match were the two biggest reactions of the night. They... They wasted it because the whole point of pro wrestling is to eventually put somebody over in a big way. And to their credit, 
I was a supporter of Brock beating The Undertaker. I know at the time it stunned everybody. Why should Brock be that yeah. guy? Oh, if you look in hindsight, it was 100% the right move. Because they were building up this monster. And Undertaker was at the end. He was nearing the end at that point. No, no, but it, it, looking back at it, you say they made the right call. I enjoyed it at the time, but they haven't taken advantage of the monster they created. They have not. Brock's got to lose clean to somebody. It, and it, it might not happen, man, it's if they had that gonna multi- happen. <laughs> Dude, here's the thing. It's not going to happen. Now, I don't know if he's going to win at SummerSlam. I, I don't really know what they're going to do. And, and a part of that is good, right? A part of it is good when you don't know the result. And yeah, I, admit, I can't imagine Brock's walking out of there with the belt. Well, I'd, I'd be pretty shocked. Wh- why? Were, were you shocked he walked out of the be- with the belt at WrestleMania? Because we yes, all were. Yes, very, yeah. Okay. So why stop now? Yeah. Why stop now? But if he doesn't, and it's you know Roman Reigns pinning Bobby Lashley or Bobby Lashley pinning Roman Reigns or Braun Strowman no cashing in cheaply. Whatever the hell it is, they are missing out on the because they have built this guy up so well over the years. Even though we lost to Bill Goldberg in nine seconds, they, he got his heat back yeah. because he destroyed him at WrestleMania. Yeah, that was very well done. Fine. Now what? But now again, what? But they, they've 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 got to the point now. Like I keep saying, is they've made Brock basically. They've they've taken away all his steam. They've taken away all his steam. So it's at the point now where I think, like I said, fans just want to see him. They just want to see the belt off him. It's not like they want to see their conquering hero, Roman Reigns, beat him. They just want to see the belt off Brock and yeah. on anybody. Yeah, because they don't care if it's in a tournament. They don't care. They don't care. And that's not what you want. Because they've they've suffocated us. This has been a year and a half. They've suffocated us with Brock Lesnar as champion. And they have so many really good wrestlers, smaller guys on this roster, that could have been the David to Lesnar's Goliath, whether it was now a healthy Daniel Bryan, though I know they wouldn't do it, whether it's Finn Balor, even whether it's Seth Rollins, if you want to go that route. If they want it to be Roman Reigns, just do it already. You know what I mean? Just just get it over with. And honestly, what they could have done, and I don't love it, but I'm just saying just to make them happy, okay, to make Vince and Triple H happy, what they could have done, and I think I would have accepted this, is have Roman Reigns one-on-one with Brock Lesnar and have him beat him, okay? Have him beat him clean. Have him finally conquer Brock Lesnar. Have him raise the belt, have the crowd crap on him, and then you know what. Have Strowman cash in. So the crowd could at least leave happy. Roman does beat Brock Lesnar finally. He's the one who conquered him. But Roman can still chase the title and now chase Braun Strowman. I don't love it, yeah. but I think they could have done it better than putting seven guys in the main event or whatever they decide to end up doing. Yeah, it's tough because I, I don't like that either because I think a guy like Strowman, first of all, I hate the chicken you-know-what cash-in. They've done it a million friggin' times. It's like I love when RVD cashed in and it was a one-on-one match. I, I just like that, and I think a guy like Strowman, he doesn't have to go that route. Not that the other guys did, but like more often than not, the cash-in is at an opportune time. When you're a guy like Braun Strowman and you could lift you know, a Mack truck over your head, I don't think you need to catch Roman Reigns after a beatdown from Brock. So I don't love that, but yeah, to your point, the problem is, is that they reject Reigns. So even if you have the one-on-one match and he beats him, it's going to be like, you know, a fart in church. Nobody's going <laughs> to care. They're going to crap on the match. They're going to shout CM Punk. They're going to shout Rusev Day. They're going to shout for the beach ball. It's all the smart marks that brought, you know, and I, I, we love wrestling, but, we you know, come on. It's all these guys that fly from, like, all over the country, and it's those freaking guys that are in the front row all the time. The one dude with the Met jersey, the one guy with the cap. The prom jersey. The guy, 
The, isn't it the Grom? <laughs> yeah, yeah, the guy's got the Grom jersey. You got the guy that always wears that one hat with the smiley face. The guy who brings a tie. They got the same dudes that are always in the front row. And that crowd is your very, very smart audience. Your after WrestleMania crowd that are going to be sitting there for seven hours. They're going to cheer for the guys they like. And when Reigns comes out, they're going to boo it. They're going to crap on the match. They're going to be disinterested. And if he goes over there, if he has that one-on match where he gets crowned, nobody is going to care so because he's not the guy. So maybe. Despite what he says. Yeah, right. So maybe the main event will be AJ Styles against Samoa Joe. I don't. I don't. <laughs> there's no chance. There's no chance of that happening. None. Well, it is the WWE Championship. It is their main title, and AJ very quietly. Oh, is on a great run. Yeah, is on some kind of run. And what I'd love to see, because this is different than Brock, because AJ actually fights basically every single week. I'd love to see AJ be able to hold on to that title till WrestleMania. You know, let him and Joe mm-hmm. have a couple of great matches. Have AJ beat him. All right, have him beat him a couple of times and somehow get him to WrestleMania for AJ Styles, Daniel Bryan. Somehow, because I think that would be what the people want. That's your true main event. I know they wouldn't give it to us as the main event. Even if we got that, even if AJ held on to the title until WrestleMania and it was Bryan against Styles it would probably be the second match of the night. You know what I mean? Like, they would totally not main event WrestleMania with it. But that's what they should do. I mean, AJ, it's the complete opposite of what I think about with Brock. I want AJ to hold that title all the way to WrestleMania. Yeah, I mean, listen, if you want to, you know, AJ certainly is the best wrestler in the company. I don't think he's the best wrestler in the world. He's certainly in the conversation. He's probably in, like, the top five or so. But he's absolutely the best wrestler in the company. And he's on a great run here, and he's deserved it. And he's, you know, the... You deserve it. No, that we 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 need to have a podcast with Monzo about miscellaneous stuff that drive me crazy in wrestling because <laughs> I watch does. a lot of old wrestling right. and the chance when they try to hijack the show and put themselves over it just drives me nuts. But I don't, I don't want to digress too much. But yes, I think that AJ's on a great run here. I think I I would love. I'm happy that he's working with Joe, a guy he's got a ton of history with. They're good friends, uh, you know, away from the from the ring. So I think you'll see a, a nice series of matches with the two. Samoa Joe is so under, in my opinion, undervalued. I think he's great on the mic. He's so believable. I'm a huge fan of Samoa Joe. I wanted him in the WWE, him and AJ for years. So I'm glad they're here. I'm glad they're going to get a moment on the big stage. You could do three matches with them. You could have Daniel Bryan feud with The Miz, maybe Nakamura. And yes, maybe a culmination of AJ, maybe Bryan wins the Royal Rumble because the fans will want that because they want him to win a few years ago. Maybe have something like that. And they are... Obviously not going to be the main event, but certainly in one of the key matches or one of the big world title matches at WrestleMania next year here in our backyard. A couple of tweet questions. Number one uh, from Michael McCarrick on Twitter. Your favorite SummerSlam memories. Wow, good one. Um, Number one, you know, I'll give you a work backwards for me. One of the more recent SummerSlam memories that I love was the sheer shock of watching Brock destroy John Cena. I thought that was very, very cool. I thought that was a great surprise when we got that. I thought Brock against Kurt Angle, the WrestleMania rematch at SummerSlam, was very, very cool. Uh, and I, you didn't say positive memories, but Undertaker versus Undertaker. Oh, actually main eventing the, SummerSlam. The, un- the Undertaker? <laughs> yes. Chains from DOA. 
Yeah. And Brett versus Owen was such a great match in a steel cage. A classic match, and you follow it with that. I mean, (laughs) brutal. But, I mean, we've seen that a lot on a lot of pay-per-views of the WWE where they have this great match, maybe second to last, and then they follow it with a Sid Undertaker or a Chris Jericho Triple H or certain matches that just can't follow the main event. We had that fight about Flair and Sean should have went last. But that Edge Undertaker match was a a good match, but I still think Flair should have main evented that. But, yeah, the the Underfaker versus Undertaker was uh it was that 1990s you know like goofy storyline so that was great i was a kid i was like scared of the undertaker all that stuff but like oh it just fell completely flat and it's definitely one of the worst memories and then like early 2000s there were so many bad SummerSlam matches that i can't even like remember all i think like triple h and booker t had a horrible match one year i think triple h was returning or something like yes that. triple h returned yeah yep. there, there's been a lot of brutal brutal SummerSlam uh matches but uh for me I think of Bret Hart, Mr. Perfect at the Garden. I think of Bret Hart and Bulldog at Wembley. Um, I think of Brock and The Rock at the one at the Coliseum. Yes. That yes. that whole card was amazing. Well, it that Kurt was Ray Mysterio. One of the best pay per views they've ever done. I was gonna say that was pound for pound, not even close. Best SummerSlam of all time, mm-hmm. and you could argue one of the best pay per views of all time. Now there were some duds in there. Don't get me wrong. Undertaker against. Testify if I'm the, I, memory serves correctly. Yeah, something like that, right? You know, there, there was some loud. Ric Flair took on Chris Jericho, Jericho but yeah. Mysterio, Kurt Angle, and that was Ray Jr.'s debut in the WWE was awesome. Yep, Shawn Michaels and, returning. Against Shawn Triple H, Triple H yeah. in a street fight. But what I remember about Lesnar against The Rock in the main event that was really cool, and I don't know if there's footage of this anywhere because I think it all happened when it went off air. And I was there because it was at Nassau Coliseum. It was on Long Island, so I was very excited. Um, so here's what happens. The crowd was all in favor of Brock Lesnar. <laughs> and I think they were in favor of Lesnar for two reasons. Number one, he was new. They loved being, you know, the smart marks, as you say. But also, The Rock was leaving. And everybody knew that. And everybody knew The Rock had come back for a few months to win the title and then put Brock over. So The Rock was the heel in this match, even though he wasn't supposed to be. So Brock goes over clean. It was a really good match. Uh, it's, it's over, right? right? The Rock is standing in the ring. And the crowd is just booing the daylights out of him. And The Rock grabs the microphone. And I'm telling you, they have to find this somewhere because this was so good. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my best to describe what happened. But God, I hope somebody recorded it. So The Rock grabs the microphone. And every time he's about to say something, he lifts his head back. The crowd boos louder, right? Mm-hmm. So finally, The Rock says, finally. And the crowd boos even louder. And he stops. And he does this about three or four times finally and you can tell he's starting to get annoyed because the crowd's just booing him so loudly and then this was it this is how he ends it finally the rock has come back it doesn't matter where the rock is back at the crowd just boos him and he throws the mic down and leaves (laughs) and i thought it was heel rock but then we never saw him for a while because he left that was the whole problem yeah, no, that was that was that was a great ending to a great show. And one other one that I this wasn't a match, but it was a moment. Uh, it was kind of both, but I, again at the Garden, that one, uh, the Bret Hart. I think it was was it ninety two? No, was it, I don't want to get the year wrong, but it was the one at the Garden where, like I said, we're perfect and uh, and Bret Hart. Of course, the match made in heaven, the match made in hell. With the finally after all these years, one of the best storylines in WWE history: Macho Man and Miss Elizabeth, the wedding at the Garden. No BS run-ins, no stupid stuff. Just a wedding, and it was just a great moment. And they, the WWE had a lot of really 
great moments, and I certainly hold them close to my heart because I was a kid watching them, and I just think fondly back to watching Bobby Heenan and Gorilla Monsoon, and I think Piper might have been on there as well uh, in the commentary. And it's just great stuff. It, war- it really warms your heart. I know we missed a lot of attitude stuff. TLC also was was great at one of the I SummerSlams. You know what? The, the, the TLC was really good, but I was thinking about it. I don't think there really were a lot of great pay-per-views during the Attitude Era. I, I know that sounds weird. No, it doesn't, because you know what? Really, honestly, for a wrestling standpoint, the Attitude Era was not that great. It was just great, great. It depends on some people don't think it was that good, because they had a lot of, the, you know, the Val Venus get his, you know, pee-pee chopped off. I could say that here, right? Or, sure. you know, Mae Young giving birth to a hand, or, you know, a transvestite with Mark Henry. So there was a lot of, like, dopey moments, but it also had a lot of great moments in that Crash TV, Vince Russo, Attitude Era, where... You know, you as a fan clicking back from Nitro and Raw, to me, it was the golden era for anybody that's like, you know, 40 and under. That was a tremendous, I mean, you had five hours live wrestling every Monday night. It was like the Super Bowl every week. It was incredible. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And I think that's what made that era so great. But there weren't a lot of classic pay-per-views that came out of it. I mean, no. some of the worst pay-per-views in wrestling history were during the Attitude Era. WrestleMania 2000 yep. was a debacle. Debacle. And that, was the, the, uh, that was some of the worst of Vince Russo there. That was, if, it, assuming he was making all the decisions, that was just like, you know, I forgot who, but they win the Battle Royal on Heat to go to the tag team right, match. Right, it was right. just a lot of, like, dopey booking and, yeah. and all that. But, yeah, there was a couple... For every, you know, real for every like King of the Ring, um, we just had the anniversary. Every King of the Ring '98, you had a lot of bad ones. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, no doubt about it. Well, Lugie, excellent job. I appreciate you joining no me on another edition of the Evan Roberts podcast. Thanks for listening, and of course, midday show, 10 a.m. on the Fan. I'll speak to you then.